0: Entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go.
1: Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders so they can inspire others. I'm proud to let you know we record the Business Builder Show in the studios of 94.3 FM, The Talker, which is part of Bold Gold Media, and we are in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find our show and many other fine shows at c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. My guest with me today is Dan Canary, and Dan serves as the chairman and chief executive officer of the Massachusetts Bay Brewing Company, a.k.a. the Harpoon Brewery. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, Marty. I'm
0: fine. Thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, I'm delighted. Um, To set this up a little bit, I knew of you, and uh, I was... Uh, kind of, you were brought to my forefront, or to my mind, if you will, by Mike Lewis's great book, and that book is, we'll give a shout to him, is When to Jump, If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want, again, by Mike Lewis, and in this book, you say, you are quoted as saying, you are one of many stories that Mike talked about. Here's what you say. I laugh when I say this, but it's kind of true. Waking up and facing the challenges of a startup is like waking up and taking a punch in the face every day. So so I hope you got past that punch in the face, Dan.
0: Now it's maybe only two or two to three days a week, so I'm feeling good 30, 32 years in.
1: That's After 32 years in, it's only a couple of days a week, huh? All right, so give us the backstory, Dan. Again, uh, as, as whatever, however you'd like to start. You have a fascinating beginning, so uh,
0: oh, tune us in, you. man. Yeah. You know, I think the, the fact that I kind of came into entrepreneurship from a much larger company, which I think is a very common story, so I think folks would understand this, but you know, when you work at a big bank like I did, you know, your days are pretty much set. You have your meetings and you go out and try to sell this or that or whatever, but little things typically don't go wrong. And you get into your startup environment where you're responsible for absolutely everything and you got, you're running around in a million, you know, at a million miles an hour and a hundred different directions and lots of stuff goes wrong all the time. And so you learn very quickly, even if you put together a wonderful business plan, and we had a pretty good one, mm-hmm. that res- resiliency is absolutely essential to being successful. It's basically just being able to say like, okay, well, that just happened, but I just got to move on, or I just got to figure out another way to do it, because I got to get it done. Yeah, And yeah, um, yeah and I, I I find even as, as the company's gotten bigger, and my role has changed, I'm still in a leadership position, obviously, and now I, I need to inspire my folks to kind of have that same attitude that... Yeah, you're gonna take some punches, and it's a very competitive industry, and you just got to keep getting up and go back, go back at it. That's how you win.
1: That is how you win. Now, we probably uh, I really connected with you when part of your story is that you're younger and you like drinking beer. So I, yeah. connect, I connected with that, Dan. I understand. that. that. I still like drinking beer. But you, in between, I guess, school and work, uh, or you had some time, and I guess you traveled and you experimented yeah. or tasted different brews. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, Marty, this is, I I'm obviously will date myself here, I'm 57, so I graduated from college in 82, and for those old enough like me to remember, back then the U.S. was absolutely, it was a really big boring barren place as far as beer was concerned beer was a commodity it was light yellow lagers coast to coast yeah yeah people look at you today like they have no idea no you what are you talking about i think no, no no you don't understand coast to coast it was the exact same choices and even if there were regional players back then you know like narragansett up here Rheingold or, or Utica Club or Stroh in Detroit, Old Sound, Chicago, Rainier in Seattle. Mm-hmm. They all tasted the same. They're all light yellow lagers mm-hmm. with very, very minor exceptions, right? You'd have Guinness in certain major cities, etc. But I did a backpacking trip to Europe for two months after college, and it was like a kid in a candy store because I had plenty of beer you know, before that time and, and loved it, loved, loved the sociability of beer. I just like everything about it, the history, the sociability, the flavor, et cetera, how it brings people together. And uh, traveling in Europe, coming to these towns in Belgium, the U.K., Germany, and like, oh, my God, this is incredible. The history, breweries are right down in the the center of town. We used to go to try to visit breweries. They'd be out on the interstate someplace or a big factory. And these are beautiful old brick buildings with gorgeous beer gardens. I'm like, this is incredible. So this is what (laughs) beer can be. So came back, got into banking, you know, did the have to take a serious job after college still was thinking about beer and a college classmate approached me he was in his second year business school and said what do you think about the beer business and then and, and turning one of this report i'm doing on the micro brewing movement which is just getting started up in seattle and portland into a brewery in boston and i said you know what i'm really don't think i'm going to be a banker yeah not cut out for it yeah and said yes and went with him and another gentleman that he went to school with and we raised four hundred thirty thousand dollars and Opened the doors here in Boston in 1986. Hey, Dan, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah, you know what? It was. Yeah. It was. I mean, we didn't have to raise too much more over the years, probably another 300000 over the next, like, you know, eight years in a couple of offerings. But, yeah, you know, that was a decent amount of money back yeah. then. And people look at all the equipment that we have. Yeah. and They're like, well, it's kind of a capital-intensive industry. So actually, that's not a lot, given what you're seeing people raising today. No, but then. Um, But then it
1: was. So the whole idea of the microbrewery was really starting. You were seeing um, coffee kind of going through this uh, uh, transition, if you will, right? You kind of saw things happening, right?
0: Coffee, ice cream. It used to be, you know, the best, the only coffee was like gas station coffee and Maxwell House and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then Dunkin' Donuts up here and. Then you start to see uh, the local guys' coffee yeah. connection was one in Boston. It's like a precursor to Starbucks in this market. Yeah. Like, wow, people are spending two bucks for a cup of coffee. Back then, two bucks was a lot of money. Sure. And, wow. um, and it was darker. There's a whole experience to it. You have the same thing with Ben and Jerry's and the ice cream, and a little bit in beer, is that import sales had started to do really well in the, the preceding 15 years. So we're like, okay that's a bit of a signal that consumers are looking for more. They're looking for something different than what they're being offered. And really importantly, when you're putting a business plan together, they're willing to pay for it. So you go on those higher import price points, all of a sudden we're doing our, our business modeling and saying, okay, if we buy this equipment, and this is our expenses, we can actually make money selling our draft beer close to where Guinness is selling it, our bass back then. Yeah. Was big. yeah. So it was all those different signals where we said, you know what, we think, If it's going with coffee, it's happening with ice cream, maybe, maybe, maybe we can fight against the big brewers and do this in beer as well. Did you
1: see right from the get go, uh, call it the experience? Like you said, you love the whole thought process of the sociability. Did did the experience of the, the, the beer drinking and socialization, was that part of your plan right from the get go?
0: Absolutely. You know, when people come to our brewery here in Boston, we're right in what now called the Seaport, It used to be the South Boston Waterfront. It was all warehouses and parking lots, and Whitey Bulger did his stuff down here. It's not a great area. Yeah. And the whole city's moved down this direction in the last 20 years, so now we are right in the water in the middle of a beautiful part of Boston, six minutes from Logan Airport. But we we, we got to this location because it was a mile from downtown, and we said we always wanted our brewery in a place where we could have visitors. Yeah. The only space in our facility we started here with five thousand square feet. Now we have forty-seven thousand. The only space that's been used for the same purposes for over thirty years is our tour room. Wow! So yeah, we've been all about welcoming visitors, and between our two breweries now, Marty, we have over five hundred thousand of them a year.
1: Uh, well, I want to point out something, and then I want to ask you about the second brewery. Um, but I want to point this out. <laughs> I want to be everybody to be clear on something. You graduated from Harvard and you have an MBA from the University of Chicago, that's pretty heavy-duty credentials to be selling beer. Huh? God,
0: you sound you sound like my parents back in the <laughs> 80s. Like, when, I went, when, I, when I went to them and, with this idea, you should have just seen the, like, what? what? Like, and then I think it was the, they did the old rope-a-dope, you know, and they kind of thought it would just go away, and yeah. I came back. I saying to my father, who I was the most <laughs> man I'm most proud of in my entire life, and said... Uh, I said, well, do you just want me to send you a postcard when I decide what I want to do? Because I think I want to do this. And he just couldn't get it. But then they turned out to be incredibly supportive and invested.
1: Sure, in sure. My guess um, is, my guess the is getting... again,
0: as I said to you, the right. history of beer is pretty wild. You know, it's been around for thousands of years. I, I love yeah. the his- history part of it. I was a history major, so that yeah. plays up now. Stay here for more of the Business Builders Show with Marty
1: Wolf. My friends at NastPartners.com asks you, Who will take you there? The Predictive Index allows you to decode the complexities of your people and realize what drives workplace behaviors so you can ensure alignment, reach your team's true potential, and achieve your business objectives faster than ever. The Predictive Index uses proven science to help you manage across the hire-to-retire life cycle – with scientifically validated workforce assessments that provide high-impact insights in minutes. That's the Predictive Index. Learn more at nastpartners.com. That's my friend Dave Nast at nastpartners.com. That's N-A-S-T, nastpartners.com. My guest is Dan Canary, and his name is spelled K-E-N-A-R-Y. And he is the chairman and chief executive officer of the Harpoon Brewery. My name is Marty Wolf. I'm your host for the Business Builder Show. We're having a great discussion. By the way, I'm going to schedule a road trip soon. so Because um, i got to get there and, and experience the whole thing myself. So uh, you can plan on getting a phone call from me. And hopefully we'll sit down and have a beer then. Okay, so... With all this experience, with all this going on, um, let's talk about. We talked about the early stages, but some ups and downs uh, over the years. What 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 comes to mind? Uh, some maybe you're into it for ten years. Uh, maybe you had some governmental issues. Maybe you had some sales issues, or some good news. What 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 comes to mind? Yeah,
0: Dan? No man, it's been such an up and down. You know, you're making a consumer product, and it's. Um, so you got your quality's gotta be up there all the time and very, yeah. very early days we had i remember this is our first year of production. They dumped an extra load of chlor- chlorine in the in the public water supply. We didn't have charcoal filters yet. we made a batch of beer and it tasted like it'd been made with pool water and uh that that was not that was not that fun um so yeah we've had we've had kind of plenty of them i th- you know the nice thing is we try to run our business we treat people here the way we'd like to be treated ourselves that we treat our customers that way we treat our accounts that way we're our, our vendors our suppliers yeah so we've generally been able to avoid some of the nastier you know personal interaction things that I, you sometimes hear about in, in different industries but, yeah well thank so goodness buying catamount in 2000 that was a real highlight when we bought that second brewery and uh this, in, in 2014, we transitioned and became an employee-owned business. We, we bought, <laughs> borrowed money and bought my partner out and, and ter- gave 48% of our company to our employees, which was just an incredible okay. experience.
1: Okay, okay. So, so you said that. Perfect. I was going to save that for later, but I definitely want to go into that. So when did you decide to do that?
0: We We, we completed it in July of 2014. We probably... You know, I've been thinking about it off and on for a couple of years. Um, it's kind of an interesting process how the whole thing happened, if you want me to... Yeah, because I had a simple um,
1: question. Why did you do yeah, it? Why did you do yeah, it?
0: Yeah, Well, you know, in 2013, my partner, Rich Doyle, who's a great old friend from college, he came and said, you know what, I... I'm ready for I'm ready to do something else. I'm ready for some liquidity and a transit transaction here, something to happen. Yeah. And uh, we, we each owned about 45% of the company. And so it was a little bit of a So he said, I want to sell the company. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't want to sell the company. I love what I was doing. I love the people we worked with. It's just not something that I want to do. So I said, let me look at alternatives and came up, you know, um, discovered ESOPs, found out about ESOPs and yeah. did some research on them. and said, you know, we'd be a good candidate for an ESOP, I'd, I'd like to do an ESOP. And my partner said, no, he wanted to sell it because get maybe more money faster, that kind of stuff. So we had six outside shareholders, four senior managers at the company and two directors.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I suggested, why don't we treat them like a jury? I know hmm. this is unorthodox business practices to kind of let the 11% owners of the company decide for The other 89 percent, what we're doing, but I didn't want to do the ESOP unless I had the full support of the rest of the management group. Hmm. And selling the company outright would have meant made meant more money for everybody right away. But we did that. We went on March of 14, presented to the other six, and then the vote. They came back two hours later, six to zero, to support me and go the ESOP route. So in July, we gathered the whole company together up in our beer hall here in Boston. And um, it was an unusually attentive, well behaved harpoon group because the taps are always open and these meetings kind of <laughs> can hold people's attention for like 40 minutes and then that's it. Yeah. But I had invited some of the bankers and people to help helped us get the deal done. I invited them to come that night. And so they were kind of the strangers in yeah. suits along the wall. Yeah. Made everyone really nervous. Yeah. And I get up and I said, you know, you probably noticed the gray hair on Rich and me. I do have a decision. We want to introduce you tonight to the new owners of a large minority stake in Har- the Harpoon Brewery. And you could have heard a pin drop at that point, right? And then I said, yeah. I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and shake their hand because you are now all owners of 48% of the Harpoon Brewery. And it was a great, great night. You can imagine. Holy steering! That's how crying, you did that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, and that's not that was not a unique idea to me. I heard it from other Esop companies. Yeah,
1: but that's kick ass. That's that's yeah. That's that's really good.
0: Well, it's been every week or two weeks. There's been another announcement of somebody else selling out in the industry to bigger brewers. And yeah. We wanted to kind of plant our stake in the ground and remain independent. And I just love the people that we've built this company with. And yeah. I have the ability to kind of give them an opportunity for financial security. Isn't that what the system's all about? Right. It should be.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's my feeling. Right. Um, yeah, yep. that's that's really great. Well, what's been? Has anything surprised you since then?
0: Well, I think that we're kind of in un, unprecedented or uncharted territory as an industry now, right? I I'll backtrack for a second. One okay. thing that I learned from other ESOP CEOs, which did surprise me, um, looking back on it, or from the vantage point of doing the ESOP. They had all said, you know, it's a really two to five year process before your employees really understand what you're, you've done. Yeah, And that's true. I think people think, well, gosh, that announcement, that would have been like, that's it, right? They get it and everyone's kind of, you know, ready to go, charged up. It's like, yeah, you know, you have people that already get it, but others just don't really get it. And it takes them a year or two to kind of get these statements and say, wait a sec, I got this account and I'm not putting any money into this, but look at what the balance is. Mm. And all of a sudden, and then you have to educate and try to yeah. get people really engaged. And we do that through an ideas program, regular meetings, events, parties, that kind of stuff. But that was that was that's been a longer process than I would have thought it yeah. was. But yeah, the benefits have been outstanding too. I mean, people here are engaged and fired up, and we really enjoy each other. Which is
1: which yeah. Is well, I mean, the whole we'll we'll sum it up by saying financial literacy. The whole financial literacy thing is what yeah. they're they're getting an advanced education, obviously. It's critically important for for the well being or the health of an organization. So you're just you're doing it in in that fashion. You and your team are doing and, it in that and fashion. Really,
0: Marty, the well being of society. When you think about it, it's amen. not like many people work at places now where they've got lifelong pensions and they don't have to worry about this stuff. Uh,
1: amen. Everyone's
0: got to build their own security, and so. Yeah. We can help that not only with the ESOP, but also with this, as you say, financial literacy, that talking about the system, talking about business, about savings, et cetera. Yeah. Hopefully, when k- kitchen table discussions in the evening become much more um, informed.
1: Uh, I can guarantee it is. I'm sure you're already hearing that. Okay, so you're talking about the employees. I know you're very heavily involved in your community, uh, yeah. I know you're heavily involved in your industry. Why do you do that?
0: You know, I'd say the community piece of it, it just kind of grew up organically. Remember, I talked about how we located our brewery right, right downtown, and one of the great things about the beer business is we have a very fungible product, right? So, hey, Marty Wolf is running a charitable event for XYZ Cancer or... You know, muscular dystrophy or Lou Gehrig's disease, whatever it. Do you need beer for it? Yeah, I'd love beer. That would really help. Great, let us get it to you. So, uh-huh. yeah, it just started in the early days. People asking and us just saying yes, or people hearing about events we like saying, "Can we give you beer for that?" Yeah, uh, and it just kind of started. We started doing more and more, and we run these you know this road race that sells out in about forty five minutes or five thousand runners that raises over two hundred thousand dollars a year for. Lou Gehrig's disease research, and we do the Vermont Food Bank, and Cancer yeah. Center in the Upper Valley, just—it's just kind of in our DNA, and then we have a full-time person who runs what we call Harpoon Health. Mm. We try to put it under one umbrella mm. yeah. uh, to kind of manage all the different things that we like to do, and it comes from, as I call it, it comes from stakeholders, meaning employees, customers, partners of ours that have a cause that they'd like to Like us to support. Yep, go all in to help them out, and that's that's, all good.
1: So, so why so why so much support to the industry? Why is that important to you and to your fellow stakeholders and shareholders?
0: Well, you know, in way back in the start, you know, we were all kind of alone. You know, there were a handful of breweries around the country, and we started around 100 breweries in the country. Now they're almost 7,000. Yeah. So you knew everybody in the industry across the country, whether it was Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada or Jim Cook at Sam Adams. You know, you kind of knew the different people. And you said, well, we've got to try to come together because, you know, the big guys are going to take care of themselves. The wholesalers are taking care of themselves. We have some specific issues that really matter to us as small brewers, like access to fresh hops, for example, like. Big brewers say, we're going to buy this year's entire crop, which they could do. Yeah. We're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, they're yeah. going to say, you know what, we have chain teams that sell to all these big national chains or regional chains, and we're going to block you guys out because we've got the deal with Kroger or with Harris Teeter or whatever. Right. So all of a sudden, it's like, jeez, we've got these kind of bigger issues that unite us as a group of you know small brewers. Fascinating. Better get together. And so my partner, Rich, and I just got very involved from... Very early on, and it's been it's been it's been a great way to meet people in the industry, and it's also been really important to try to make sure that our interests are protected because we're yeah. a very heavily regulated business, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how do you learn. You just answered that question. I'm sure there's other ways, but uh, but that uh, that peer group and 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 all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So my guest has been Dan Canary and his spell last name is K E N A R Y harpoon brewery has a wonderful website i'm sure people can find that correct dan absolutely harpoonbrewery.com it's great so um let's wrap up this way uh, great discussion thank you for taking time what 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 of what we talked about in this past uh, 18 19 minutes well, what do you want people to really remember other than harpoon brewery of course well, what was what came out that you want really you want people to remember from this discussion
0: well, you know, going back to what we just started on with Mike Lewis's wonderful book about when to jump, I, I think we all have so many choices to make in our careers. And we can be passive spectators, if you will, or we can be active participants. And I would just challenge everyone. You know, you, we all spend a lot of our lives at work. And to really give it a lot of thought about what you want to do, why you want to do it, and whatever you're doing, make sure you do it really, really well, and try to leave that place and the world around you a better place. And if you do that, I think if we can all do that in highly fractured times in our country, right? We can make, maybe make uh, create better spaces for all of us to be happy together and productive and lead leave fulfilling lives.
1: And I dare to say leave a legacy is what you are already working on. So, Dan... Canary with Harpoon Brewery has been with us today. Dan, thanks so much for being with us on the Business Builder Show. You're very welcome, Marty. Nice to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find all our shows and many other great shows on C-Suite Radio. That's c-suiteradio.com. On behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show, but stay tuned for information on how you can become part of the C-Suite Network.
0: Bringing the business classroom to you, it's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf.
1: As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio Show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builder Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR.